welcome to the One Ticket Four podcast. I am your host, Taylor, and I am joined, as always, by my husband, Daniel. Not an extension podcast this time, nor the actual One Ticket Four. Yeah, the actual One Ticket Four, the OG of this podcast, if you will. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, we are back. Uh, we have gone to movie theaters um, in the recent few weeks or so. Um, if you caught our episode last week, we had mentioned that we were absent a little bit. Life just kind of got in the way, but we uh, did an episode on The Little Mermaid. And now we are back for a One Ticket Four episode. And this is on Kenneth Brenna's A Haunting in Venice. Yeah, yeah. There was, um, you know, there was a dearth of options, I think, in the theaters that or at least nothing that was particularly compelling to us to stray go dogs. and see. Which one? Stray Dogs. What's Stray Dogs? Oh, the, the dog movie. Yeah, of course. No, um, yeah, that was <laughs> that was high on the list, but we just couldn't make it happen. Nope. Darn. Sorry. Darn parenthood. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, there was some stuff, but uh, like Gran Turismo, I think, comes to mind for me. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, eventually it just wasn't worth it um to make that effort so yeah this one it caught my eye i think i don't remember the first time i saw the trailer it was probably during oppenheimer or something mm-hmm. and uh you know it looked compelling enough to we both kind of said you know hey this looks good like we should do do one of those on a podcast on that movie when it comes out and and that's what we did yeah absolutely. <laughs> or that's what we're doing actively yeah um i was very excited about this one because i am a fan of these um movies that Kenneth Branagh has been doing, um, these adaptations of the Agatha Christie novels like Murder on the Orient Express, uh, Death on the Nile we watched um, at home and it was okay. It wasn't my favorite, but I was very excited about this one because I do love horror movies. I love haunting ideas, even if it's not real hauntings, which we can kind of talk a little bit about in this movie. Um, but yeah, it just the trailer was very intriguing for this movie and it's set in Venice which is one of the places that I know we've been longing to go to, which, yeah, I just really, it just seems like such an idealistic place to have a, a horror movie slash mystery novels movie set in. Yeah, the setting was great. Um, I don't, you know, I, I liked, no, okay, I didn't like really either of the first two Faro uh, <laughs> movies that Kenneth Browning has done. The first one I remember seeing uh, at a theater, in the theater with my mom, and it is one of the only times in my life that I can recall that I actually fell asleep in a movie. Um, and I, I can't, it's not like, it's not a bad movie. I didn't hate it, but it, there was something about it. Maybe it was just like a comfort thing. It, it is sort of, I don't know. Um, I fell asleep. And so it was quite relaxing. I recall, but I didn't particularly care for the movie. Mm-hmm. It had a great cast, uh, you know, like Michelle Pfeiffer, Judy Dench, I think Johnny Depp, like, I think like, Daisy Ridley was also in yeah, there too. Yeah, like, there's a lot of people in that movie. And then the Nile one, I remember not liking at all. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it was a weird time <laughs> with Army Hammer being yeah. in it. Um, and then actually Russell Brand is also in it, which is also dubious now uh, <laughs> as, of, as of this week. And no, my biggest problem with that movie was that it, it was just... It, it was so cheaply made in the sense that it was all green screen, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't, they weren't in the Nile. Uh, no, they, they weren't were in Egypt. It wasn't on location anywhere. And you can tell, and it's really, like, it just really hurts, I think, the feel of the movie. And a lot of a lot of it's, you know, you're in one location. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think Venice, they pretty successfully captured it. It looked like they were there. It seemed like they were there, at least at, at parts. 
Um, it definitely felt felt like in this movie there was a little bit more of um, a budget put into it for it all being in like one location. Which is weird. This is one of the most unlikely trilogies that I've come across mm-hmm. in recent years just because I don't think either of the previous films have been very successful box office wise. I mean, obviously they have to some extent because otherwise it wouldn't be greenlit. But given the last one, I don't even remember. Did it come out during the pandemic? Was that a pandemic movie? I think it came out in 2021. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. Theaters were kind of up on the comeback trail mm-hmm. somewhat and they still are obviously. But yeah. um, we definitely watched it on Netflix or wherever it was streaming at the time. And uh, yeah, I, I just I it's surprising to me that they made a third. I'll be surprised if they continue it, but I, I won't be upset. They're kind of you know they fill a niche I think that is not um, adequately served in in the movie going mm-hmm. experience right now, and definitely it's catering to an older demographic. I would yeah. say, um, which is maybe part of the reason why it, a lot of people don't like you know didn't have it was number two at the box office to the nun two yeah. <laughs> uh, this weekend and which you know sparingly i mean it was really close but still you know that demo doesn't necessarily run out to the theaters on opening weekend to, mm-hmm. to catch stuff and so um yeah very unlikely but i think i think was pretty good yeah uh, i think we can both agree that this is definitely the best of the three movies that have come out with kenneth brenna starring in it um Funny thing, I looked up a little bit of history about these because they uh, we know that the movies are based off of Agatha, Agatha Christie novels. And from what I understand with the uh, character of Hercule Poirot, um, he's in like almost, oh, if not 30, over 30 novels of hers. And this one was actually one of the like least popular novels, mm-hmm. um, uh, novel adaptation movies. Um, I guess they also changed the name of it too, which they didn't change the name for the first two, like Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile. The mo- uh, the book that this movie was based off of was called Halloween Party, but it's weird because it's like Hallow and then the ween part is like W-E hyphen, or not hyphen, apostrophe. like apostrophe E-in. So I don't mm. really know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Let's say Halloween Party. Yeah, yeah. it was <laughs> Halloween Party. So I think A Haunting in Venice definitely has more of an allure to it. A much more uh, mysterious and romantic title, yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, um, but yeah, I just kind of thought that that was an interesting thing, that yeah. this being the less popular of the books in the series, but also I think it was one of the more successful movies in the three that have come out in recent years. Well, successful in terms of, uh, you know, us liking it, I guess. But yeah, definitely more um, so that. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't have a provenance with Agatha Christie novels. I've, mm-hmm. I've attempted to read exactly one, which was Murder on the Orient Express, after having seen some adaptation of it when I was a kid. Um, not really a big mystery book fan. I just, you know, I, there's so much mystery in life already and to the universe. I don't, I don't need it in my, uh, you know, reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but... <laughs> that's a, a stupid reason not to read it but um yeah i don't know isn't the book set also in like the 60s it's not set in yeah, post-world war ii um, that so. was something else i was looking up too uh which i'm going to give credit to the roger ebert website um <laughs> for giving me some information on this i read a review i i'm so sorry i don't remember who the um the writer of that article was but um i will link the article that i read in oh, our bio well, it's okay because uh, i mean that 
piece of information that we're referencing is not necessarily an original thought to the author. So no, literally just <laughs> stating the um, fact of the book. So yes, the original book actually also wasn't even set in Venice. It was actually set in England mm. um, in 1969, where the movie takes place post-World War II in 1947 in Venice. Yeah. So I think as far as um, a creative choice i think it was very smart for them to change it from england to venice and even to do post-world war ii because there's a lot of emotions obviously happening in the post-world war era that i think we kind of see from hercule poirot's character as he's going into this movie yeah does he is that why he retired i I don't that's not part of his reason for not being active right it's more effective it's more comes into play with the doctor character Mm -hmm. jamie dornan's character yeah um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what exactly drove that choice, but as from what I understand, doing a little bit of research, it sounds like other than those details, this is pretty, uh, faithful to the mm-hmm. novel. Um, in which case, like I can kind of see why the book is not maybe the most popular or well-regarded of mm-hmm. the Agatha Christie mysteries, because the mystery itself is a little bit lackluster, which is not uh, ideal when you're talking <laughs> about a, a movie that's supposed to be a, a murder mystery. Um, but I, I kind of enjoyed it in spite of that because I, I think I told you, you know, one of the first things I said when I came home, I saw it last night, um, so more recently than you did, mm-hmm. and it was that, like, I, I enjoyed it, but I also, you know, kind of guessed at what the conclusion might be pretty early on, which is never really a good sign with these kind of movies. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like I'm actively trying to, you know, get those clues and I'm not, I don't like to necessarily play that game with myself. Why ruin the experience? But mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't too difficult to parse this one. I thought. Yeah. But. And we can kind of get into like that part of the movie because I do want to kind of talk about our individual movie going experiences as yeah. well, too. But I guess just to kind of briefly summarize the movie, um, it, it's sort of, as you said, it takes place in like 1947 uh, Venice and Hercule Poirot has retired. He's out of the investigation game. Uh, and um, Tina Fey's character, she plays the author. Uh, what's her name? Ariadne Oliver. Yes. Uh, and she's basically a facsimile of Agatha Christie herself. She's her character appears in a lot of the books, and she writes stories based on Hercule Poirot's um, cases. And so she's coming to him with this medium that she has encountered that is supposedly enough to convince her that there is actually something, you know, supernatural in the world. And so they go to a palazzo where there's a grieving mother who's going to use the medium played by Michelle Yeoh to contact her um, recently deceased daughter who was kind of tragically thrown off of a, or either leapt off a balcony or thrown off, it's unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it's obviously on Halloween night, uh, on a stormy Halloween night in Venice. And so that's sort of the, the setting and the setup. And then all the characters are, are in there um, in a classic sort of, you know, mystery well, a classic Agatha Christie setup, I guess, where there's a lot of different characters with different motives, and there's a murder mm-hmm. that is, you know, central to why they're gathered, and then as they gather, there are additional occurrences that happen. Very much like a, a very clue scenario, um, as yeah. many Agatha, Agatha Christie, especially Hercule Poirot um, stories are. But one thing you forgot to mention is that this palazzo is supposedly haunted by orphan children. Yes, yes, that is a big part of it, right? And that that kind of lends itself to the whole Halloween spooky, mm. you know, season atmosphere that's going on, which I thought was pretty good. I, yeah. We should probably say that we're going to be 
getting into spoilers for the movie. So yes, again, again, with any of our one ticket four episodes, just be aware of spoilers. And also with the shall we watch episodes as well, too. Um, There's going to be spoilers in all of this. So if you're into getting spoilers, great. Keep listening. If you're not, wait until you watch the movie and then listen in. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's based on a 60 year old story. So that's also true. (laughs) You've had your chance. Okay, well, um, do you want me to kind of go over my experience in seeing the movie since I saw it uh, first before you got a chance to see it? Yeah. Um, So I saw it on this past Sunday um, with my friend Heather, actually. Shout out to Heather Van Horn. Thank you for being my movie date for this experience. Um, And, you know, she had actually told me that she wanted to go see this movie um, specifically with me for this podcast. Um, and she didn't know that the movie was actually based on a book series or that it was linked to the two other movies prior. Mm. So it was kind of fun to kind of give her a little insight about, you know, this character, uh, Kenneth Brenna's Hercule Poirot is really the focus of the story, but you don't necessarily need to follow the other movies to know what happens. Can, can I ask what, do you know what compelled her to want to see this one as opposed to the other two, if she doesn't? I think familiar it, with it. I don't necessarily know, but I think it really had to do with just the fact that the trailer really looked appealing. Um, and mm. I think anybody out there who has seen the trailer for this movie would also agree. It was very um, intriguing. Mm. Um, so, so the horror, probably the horror element, or you know, was yeah, definitely. And I mean, Heather, you'll tell me when you listen to this podcast if you are known for liking horror movies. I don't necessarily know if you are or not, but mm. I feel like this maybe had a chance but horror movies aren't always necessarily like you know haunting stories or ghost stories no yeah that's true this is a distinct category of this is a haunted house movie essentially um which are great you know we so i think i think she does like spooky stories because she's also a big um, american horror story fan so Mm. maybe that kind of element has to it but yeah so we went and saw it together um our theater was pretty empty for the most part. And it was actually kind of funny. I'm sorry, Heather. I'm going to call you out for this. But so Heather had bought us the tickets um, to go see the movie. And she bought them on um, on her phone. And she thought that she was buying tickets like kind of farther in the back. So that way we could see the screen. And no, we actually ended up getting like third row seats, which <laughs> it was an IMAX theater. So it was a curved theater. So we were like, oh, my God, our eyes and it was so loud when they were playing some of the trailers for the movie. Um, so at one point we actually, because our theater was pretty empty for the most part, we kept looking at the seat chart while we were in there. We moved to like the very back row and we're thinking, okay, this is cool. So we're just eating our popcorn, eating our candy, stuff like that. And then these three girls come up and I guess they had bought tickets for the seats next to us. And unfortunately, while I was watching the movie, as much as I did enjoy watching the movie, um, they were just talking and showing off their phone, even like during the previews where it said, just please silence your cell phones and don't look at your phone or things like that. And I can't count how many times Heather and I both turned our heads and just glared at this group of, I don't even think they were teenagers. I think they were preteens seeing a movie. Um, but eventually halfway through the movie, I think it was like the last 40 minutes of the movie, we ended up moving back to our seats <laughs> to watch the rest of the movie because these girls were just so loud and so obnoxious, even when we were just telling them to be quiet and just did, did you verbally to... tell them to be quiet? I think Heather did. I didn't actually say anything because Heather was closest to them. And then it was, yeah, in that last 40 minutes of the movie that Heather's like, let's go move. So we moved down there. But yeah, I mean, anyone who's listening out there, please just have theater etiquette. Don't look at your phone. Don't 
talk to your friend next to you? Like, because these girls were not whispering. They were talking like as loud as you and I are talking next to each other. And it was really distracting. Like it was a Sunday afternoon. I get it. You're out of school. You have school the next day. But, you know, just have some freaking class. Okay. Like did your parent, <laughs> well, how did your parents raise you? Like this is not how you do it. Well, obviously you, you answer your own question with the, <laughs> the issues you're presenting. I, that's always terrible when that happens. It really, I don't, and I, I, I don't have any hesitation in telling people very clearly, like, can you stop <laughs> what you're doing? The problem um, was is though I we didn't feel right really like telling them too much because we technically almost took their spots and we moved down one because we moved to the back. So we didn't want to like be aggressive with them and say be quiet because then they're like, well, you're not even supposed to sit here. So they didn't even pay for their seats. It doesn't matter. I, I don't know if they did or not. We, no, I mean, I mean <laughs> well, if they were preteens, I mean, they, don't oh, they have, probably didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. I and mean, it's not like they're saving up their chore money to. I don't even know if they get chore money. Chore or, money? Is that still a thing? That's what I got. I never got allowance. I got chore money. I don't think I got an allowance either. I kind of <laughs> just asked for things and then they were given. Wow. Which is probably not the best. Uh, well, it, it worked out well for me. It's fine. It sure did. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that sucks. I mean, it's. I guess if the theater was empty, why'd you have to move back to your original seats? You could have just moved anywhere. But I guess we just kind of wanted to move as far away as possible. I was kind of following Heather's lead on that. Um I was okay with it because it, that movie was almost over anyway. So, mm. good. Yeah. But I think, regardless of that happening, I still was able to enjoy the movie for what it was. Um, and I really tried to uh, drown out their nonsense in watching it. And I, th- I think I was capable of doing that. That's, that's good. That's, you know, it's important to, because if it gets too bad, then you, you kind of, it's like you didn't even see it. I'm trying to recall, like, wasn't there, what was the, there was a movie that you and I saw where it was so distracting i can't i can't recall what it was like was it a recent movie it's i don't think very recent no i know i remember when we saw the conjuring in theaters there was like those kids with backpacks that kept coming in and out okay so i i remember i remember that was something i didn't know it was a conjuring but that rings a bell the backpack Mm. issue and i think also like when we saw the Joker, remember we saw it, oh, the Walking Phoenix. Oh yeah. There was there was a, like weird like you know there it was sensationalist stories in the in the news like about you know people getting threats in the theaters or you know that something mm-hmm. was going to happen because of the Joker and the unfortunate history with like Batman in theaters mm-hmm. with color. So there was just like, a weird vibe, and then there was a guy who kept like coming into the theater and walking in front of the seats. Uh, yeah. by the ramp um and then he also had a backpack a, he also too. had a backpack which yeah. is disconcerting unfortunately the mm-hmm. reality of our world is that that would flag you know something in your head like mm-hmm. hey maybe i should look for where the exits are um yeah but so that was that was also very distracting in, in a mm-hmm. much more s- serious way uh than you know a bunch of preteen girls texting or whatever yeah just a little um, bit yeah but one girl i remember the conversation one of the girls had was like it was so like distracting because it was one of the girls was literally turning the other one saying like, wait, aren't you Indian? Oh, and so was, they were discussing each other's, you know, heritage. Yeah. Which the, I was theater, just like, what kind of question nice. is that? I mean, <laughs> but I mean, like, there, what kind of question is that in a theater? <laughs> they're getting to know each other. You know, yeah, you, you have to ask these questions if it's unclear sometimes. I I'm, guess, but uh, it was just, it, it kind of gave me the, it kind of like, took me out of the theater at that point i was like wait what the heck are you asking I, i'm 
I've been described by some as ethnically ambiguous, so I appreciate that question and the, the, the forwardness of it. Just, you know, just ask. Don't assume that I'm Greek or something. You're just saying that because I just assumed you were Greek when we first met. A lot of people assume I'm Greek. That Some people just call me Constantine because apparently I look like a Constantine or wow. I did it one time. Others have called me David and some for years. Why? I don't know. This is a complete aside, but I had a French teacher from, I think... Yeah, from my freshman year of high school until my senior year of high school, I was I was her TA and up until and the entire time she called me David because after the first few months, certainly after the first year, I I couldn't correct her. It was too embarrassing by that point. Like why hadn't I done it, you know? Yeah. So then I just had to live with the consequences. I would I would do the same thing honestly in your position. It's just, you know, just go with it. You just have than... to go with it. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. Um, uh, so tell me about your experience. I went on a Thursday night uh, 7 p.m. showing, and there were, I think, eight other people in the theater. I went with my mom, um, who, yeah, she, she wanted to see it. Again, I think, you know, I don't actually know if she really likes the other two movies. I know she like again, I saw the first one with her, and she liked that. She didn't fall asleep, so that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was f- completely empty and, and uneventful um, in the theater. So pretty nice. We had, uh, you know, a lot of room around us. Um, how nice for you (laughs) yeah yeah it was it was pretty pleasant so nothing to distract us from you know what we were watching but i don't know and there were some decent trailers i guess actually don't even there weren't decent trailers i'm lying i don't even know why i said that (laughs) one of the trailers was the marvels which just angered me because i'm just completely disillusioned and disengaged with that whole thing as i think a lot of people are so if you want to hear Daniel and I talk about how disillusioned we are with Disney and their Marvel and their remakes of classic movies, you should definitely check out the previous episode. Yeah, and if you want to hear Taylor defend Thanos as like a savior of humanity, <laughs> you should go and listen to the Guardians of the Galaxy podcast because, um, yeah, that was that was something that happened. This is, Anyways, this is later, forever going to be we, like a mark on my character. We isn't it? don't have to get back into that, but um, no, I was actually looking forward because you had mentioned that during your screening you saw a trailer for poor things and mm-hmm. i think your friend heather hadn't seen it and so you were talking about like yorgos lanthimos and all that and uh didn't didn't occur in my theater i think we saw like can i tell you extra explaining uh yorgos lanthimos is that how you say his name yeah explaining his type of movies and the kind of films to someone who i know for a fact doesn't go to movie theaters very often or is really exposed to a lot of film as you have exposed me to is interesting because oh. the looks that she gave me when I was explaining the movies. No, you should invite her and uh, her husband and her well, one-year-old son over, and we can all watch Dogtooth. Great. I did tell her about Dogtooth, and she's like, what the heck is he talking because about? Because Dogtooth is a great mental model for how to raise children. Uh, Anyways. He's being sarcastic, by I'm the way. not, but we can discuss that at a different time. And a okay, different, well, he's uh, not, but form. I am. Please do not take that <laughs> consideration of how to raise children. Um, yeah, I mean, do you want to get into the, the actual movie itself? Like, I don't... Why not? <laughs> I, yeah. I don't... Um, I guess it's interesting because, like, I, I enjoyed it. I don't have, like, a lot of strong th- thoughts. I thought, like, what I liked the best was just, again, the setting, mm-hmm. being on Halloween, being in Venice at the Palazzo. I thought it, it was atmospheric enough mm-hmm. for... I think about movies like those kind of gothic horror movies. I'm thinking about like Rebecca or, yeah. um, well, that's really the the one that comes to mind um, most for me. But any kind of haunted house where the the actual surroundings are pretty important. 
I thought this was pretty good. I thought even the filmmaking was kind of at least more interesting than the other two. Like there's mm-hmm. a there were a lot of like hard Dutch angles, which is you know when yeah. the camera's like slanted and it's supposed to indicate that something's askance or skew mm-hmm. with the world. And so there was that. It's it's stylistic, but I think it kind of works for this movie. And um, you know, I thought the cast was pretty good. Um, I like I like Kenneth Branagh as, as Hercule Poirot. I think he does a, a decent job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Yeoh was really good, although wasn't in it nearly as much as I thought she would be. Um, who else was there? Uh, like, Jamie Jamie Dor- Dornan as yeah. the doctor, and uh, who plays the mother? I, I don't remember the actress's uh, name. Her name is uh, Kelly Riley. Kelly Riley, yes, from uh, Beth from Yellowstone. Yes, as, mm-hmm. uh, as I know her, and she was really good. Uh, and then, of course, you have Tina Fey uh, mm-hmm. as uh, Ariadne, we mentioned, who I thought was an interesting role for her. I kind of expected her to be a little bit more, you know, humorous, uh, just given her, you know, history. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It was pretty, she played it pretty straight for the most part, I thought, but still a little bit tongue in cheek with, um, with Branagh. Mm-hmm. I think she, like, gave off enough comedy for this kind of movie i think she really kind of read the idea of like what the theme and the tone of the script was supposed to be so she didn't want to go too hard with a lot of the um comedy that she's usually known for yeah and one thing i kind of like is that like everyone it's a little weird like the acting is not certainly not like naturalistic at all nor should it be but there's a specific artifice to it that as if they're it's as if these characters know they're in a murder mystery mm-hmm. and they're playing it like it's a murder mystery theater kind of thing which sounds like it might be bad but i think it really works because it totally you know it, it just it obviously uh jives with the movie that you're watching <laughs> and the story that they're telling so so um if i can just interject here for a second because this is actually tying into why i actually really enjoyed this movie and why i enjoyed the other movies altogether is because i'm a huge fan of murder mystery in fact even at my bridal shower one of the themes the games that we played was a murder mystery party like i love these kind of things so much um but i also love that in each of these movies that you know you meet a different cast of characters aside from obviously our lead Hercule Poirot but the movies have a start a beginning a middle and an end and that's it like there's no like leading into like what the next like movie could be there's no jumping into like a sequel or anything like that it's just it's a, it's a well no, self-contained movie. story and to that end I also thought it was fantastic that this was like 95 minutes or something it was yes. really brisk um, and they do get right into it. So I did appreciate that also. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I actually really loved the cast in this. I think this is one of the stronger casts of um, the three movies. Um, mm-hmm. To like what you're saying, like to Tina Fey's character, I think she added like just enough of the comedic like element, but also just enough of that, um, the character that she is. that she So she's a uh, murder mystery novelist. She based a lot of her um, stories off of Hercule Poirot. Um, very much like Agatha Christie. So it was nice to see, um, it was nice to have her uh, character in this because she kind of played off of him trying to get back into solving another mystery in this. Um, I do wish that Michelle Yeoh's character was in it a little bit longer, but it made sense that she, spoiler spoiler alert again, (laughs) um, that she would be the first one to get murdered in this story because she had posed the biggest threat in the movie as far as the cast of characters that we're meeting at this point um yeah and she 
Yeah, so obviously she's the medium who's been hired to communicate with the with the deceased mm-hmm. daughter, Kelly Raleigh's uh, daughter, uh, and yeah, she she is the first to to go. She mm-hmm. gets pushed off a balcony and impaled on a on an antique statue. Yeah, it's very <laughs> um very uh, intense. Um, sorry, just looking at something real quick. Um, so one thing that I kind of talked about a little bit a while ago was talking about um, Hercule Poirot's. Uh, character in a post-World War setting a little bit because I don't know if you really got this from watching the movie but I got a lot of emotion from him that he was very much like a for lack of a better term an an atheist like not even believing in the afterlife he really wanted to kind of just cut down Michelle Yeoh's um, theatrics altogether in a very bombastic way to where it was not even delicate considering that She's there to try and connect with Kylie, um, Kelly Riley's um, daughter in the movie. And he was very impassioned about, like, you're, feed, you're feeding off of the, like... You're exploiting, exploiting the, the vulnerable. The, yeah, yeah, thank you. Exploiting the vulnerability of others. Um, so really just being very harsh about yeah. it. And that's where I kind of thought that, you know, being in a post-World War II era, I think that was actually a lot of things that a lot of um, soldiers were feeling after such a... Tra- uh, traumatic time and we kind of see that same uh, PTSD in like Jamie Dornan's character who's a doctor in this hmm. show yeah so. I didn't I didn't think um that deeply into it but that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah and I yeah he's a skeptic for sure which I obviously I like and it makes sense from a person who's very just um pragmatic and deals with empirical fact <laughs> as he <laughs> as only a great detective can mm-hmm. um so naturally there's always an explanation for things yeah let's I guess we can kind of go into a little bit of the other uh, members of the of the cast and the characters that are in that house. So we talked about how you know Michelle Yeoh's character is the first to to be murdered, and well, actually, there's a first. There's an attempt to murder Poirot himself, yes, um, in a bowl of apples, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a terrible way to go. It really would, and be. and then and then Michelle Yeoh, and then we're left with you know the members of the house who each have their own kind of stories and motives. So you know, we kind of want to go into. Yeah, so um, of course we have Tina Fey as Ariadne Oliver. Um, we have Janie Dornan as Dr. Leslie Ferrer, who was the doctor of um, Kelly Riley's um, daughter in the movie. She plays Rowena Drake, who is a um, opera singer whose daughter was the one who they were doing the seance about with uh, Michelle Yeoh. Um, you've got Jamie Dornan's son in this named Jude Hill. He's not his actual son, but he plays his son in the movie, um, who's very much like a 12-year-old going on 40 or something. He's very intellectual for his age, um, which fun fact, if you didn't really notice this um, as a viewer, I know you know that you definitely know this, but it's actually kind of a reunion between Kenneth Brenna, Jamie Dornan, and Jude Hill because they all were um, in Belfast at one point. What uh, Kenneth Brenner wrote Belfast. I he think. wrote and directed it, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like a little Belfast reunion mm-hmm. here. Um, then you also have uh, Maxime Gerard, who played the fiancé of the daughter, who her name is um, Alicia Drake. Alicia, I believe, was her name. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have uh, the maid of the house, um, Olga Semenov. She's very much like a very much pure Catholic, but she's very superstitious of the uh, palazzo that they're living in that's haunted by the children. And then finally you have 
um, Miss Reynolds, who was Michelle Yeoh's psychic character's assistant, because yeah, it turns out she is a fake. So yeah, she is a fake, and um, I forgot. So the the fiance, who's again, I don't remember the name of the character or mm-hmm. the name of. I didn't. I, I must have missed something because until near the end of the movie, I thought that that was the uh, Rowena's ex husband and the daughter of the girl who had killed herself. Or I, died. I kind uh, of understand I, that. I completely missed that. But and then they do show like some backstory and explaining, you know, mm-hmm. who he is. But um yeah, did not did not catch that one in the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's our cast of characters that we have here. Um so at this point now, uh Pierrot is trying to figure out who did what and as he's uh uncovering it. Sorry, did you mention the detective? The other to so the policeman? Who yeah, was... that was his bodyguard. Okay, yeah, yeah, you did mention him. Okay. Yeah. Um his name was uh Oh, you know, I I'm so sorry I did not write his name. I just wrote him as Perot's bodyguard, but he's played mm. by Ricardo Scamaraccio. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yes. I got his name out there at least. Mm-hmm. But um actually kind of talking about him. So, uh as Perot is going through the household trying to figure out what exactly happened to Michelle Yeoh's um psychic. I'm going to call her Miss Reynolds. Trying to figure out what happened to Miss uh, Miss Reynolds. Um, he's interviewing everyone from um, Rowena Drake, played by Kelly Riley. He's interviewing the doctor, and along the way, Tina Fey's character is helping him out as well too, because she just is itching to get a new novel out there. Um, but I, what I thought was interesting was at that point, he's kind of hearing voices of children singing, which. And to me, it kind of threw me off a little bit. I was thinking like, oh, is this now we're kind of watching the movie through his point of view. So is the Palazzo actually haunted or is he just is there a, re- a rational explanation for it all? Mm-hmm. So kind of like that, which one is it kind of scenario. But what I really liked was the um, the exposure of um, Tina Fey's character and what her reasoning for bringing him into this um seance essentially now turned murder scene really was and it was just for her to get another good story out there yeah yeah i mean that was good i don't know like i'm I'm thinking about hearing you recount kind of what happens and this is where the movie isn't as successful for me it's that i i liked the atmosphere and i liked the setting and you know the actors mm-hmm. uh but the the mystery itself i thought was a little bit you know it's just a little bit silly. Um, yeah, but and- I, think, I think that's kind of where I was okay with it, though, is that you've got something that is playing on the supernatural. you got something that is, like, trying to decipher, like, if there's if there's truly life after death. And, of course, like, for this kind of movie, I feel like there's got to be more of a, um insidious um, uh, reasoning behind what's actually going on. And I actually thought for a while that – Tina Fey's character actually did set up the whole thing because of how much she really wanted a murder mystery to happen. Yeah, I mean, she's, so she talks about how the, her previous three books were not successful and so she was sort of desperate for something to hit mm-hmm. and and this was going to be that thing. So, yeah. yeah, they definitely, I mean, they do a decent job of, of trying to steer you in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was the casting. I don't know. I, I just didn't see her as a as a killer. Also, there's something something about only murders in the building and her character there oh, I'm like yeah. conflating these two things. And it just didn't, I don't know. Maybe it was just my 
uh, bias or, or whatever baggage that I'm bringing into it. But um, I completely forgot that she's in that show. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I like, you know, I, I liked it again. I, I just thought in terms of the central mystery and the case that's being solved, um, it was it was okay. Mm-hmm. I, it was just okay, I would say. So what did you think of the, I know you said you weren't really like that, um, like drawn into what the actual, who the actual killer was in this movie. But I mean, what were your like actual thoughts about the revelation that Rowena actually did kill her daughter because she was growing up too fast and trying to live a life without her basically? I mean, that's just kind of what I had speculated from the kind of the early scenes when mm-hmm. we're, when, when the kids, so the, it opens and there's like a Halloween party and there's a bunch of kids in the house. And I know something about her interaction with those kids. I just thought there was something disingenuous about, mm-hmm. and maybe it was a little bit, the, you know, the actress telegraphing, um, I don't know, purposely, I don't know why you would do that, but I don't know. It was something in that moment that I thought, eh, this is probably who it is. And I didn't really deviate too much from that position throughout. I, they try to throw red herrings and throw you off the scent, but mm-hmm. I just didn't think it was that successful in that way. Yeah. And I definitely think as a viewer, I was picking up on some cues that she was possibly, if not definitely linked to her daughter's own murder. Um, would, would this be considered like a, a Munchausen by proxy situation? I I don't know because she because she wasn't trying because she wasn't trying to like she wasn't like making her sick to get sympathy or anything. Yeah, and and she wasn't even. So what she was doing, just to put it out there, is that she was giving her daughter, um, some kind of honey that mm-hmm. was basically a hallucinogenic, and so she was seeing things, and and in seeing those things, it was the narrative was being perpetuated that she is not well of mm-hmm. not a sound mind. And so it was an effort to sort of keep her locked up in bed because she didn't want her to run off with her boyfriend or fiance or whoever. Yeah. She so. basically wanted her daughter to constantly rely on her, even though she was an yeah. adult. But then, you know, it, there was, it was pretty much actually an accident where the, the housemaid trying to offer um, a little bit of a rest to the mother offered to take over and not knowing obviously that the honey was toxic in that mm-hmm. way, put too much into the tea. And then um, that was sort of the end of it. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's uh, so uh, it, it's just, it comes down to honey, which is, <laughs> yeah, it's just a little silly when you, when you kind of step back and think about it, but it, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, there's, Yeah. But I also I also think there's some charm in that simplicity of it, you know. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's it's not it's just not like especially clever, mm-hmm. and it's not especially um like sinister either. It's no. just sort of right down the middle of. Yeah, hey. but I think after especially after the last movie, which I don't know if any of you out there have watched the Death on the Nile, but it's after we watched it where it was. The whole thing was a like super conniving plot between like the best friend of the woman who got murdered and then her fiance who was married to the woman who got murdered. Like all it, it, it there was too many variables in that one. I I kind of was appreciative of how simplistic the explanation was in this one, and that in my opinion was executed very well throughout the movie. Yeah, I mean. I guess that's it's better than Death in the Nile, but that's not hard to be. I'm I'm comparing it. I'm thinking of like 
even more recently, um, Glass Onion, you know, the Knives Out. Oh, that's true. Um, was was I think it's obviously more much more convoluted. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot going on there, but clever. It was more clever in that way, and and you know, this that's fine. They're they're different entities. They don't have mm-hmm. to necessarily compare one to the other. But if I'm doing that exercise, then it does pale in comparison. I think with that regard. Mm-hmm. So just tying back to the um, the revelation of the hallucinating honey that we have, do you think that now that we knew know that um, Perot was basically um, hallucinating himself because he was given tea with that honey in it, do we think that the singing and the children that he was seeing, do we feel that they were possibly real or do we think that they were parts that he was seeing because of the honey situation because if you remember at the end of the movie before rowena is either pushed or is pulled off of the edge down to the water banks the same way her daughter died we get a little glimpse of like her ghost possibly yeah well isn't it kind of played so that her ghost is the one who causes her to fall off the balcony yeah yeah um so I don't know. I, I think I kind of liked that whole role because it just kind of left it to the the audience to decide if they were real or not. But what did you think about that? I, I liked that scene. I think I think doesn't Poirot go up there because he has solved the mystery at mm-hmm. that point. And so it's sort of wrapping up. But then he gets kind of taken aback by that sight of yeah. her. And so, yeah, whether it's real or not, I mean, I think probably there's some parts of it that are, you know, hallucinations. Mm-hmm. But... Isn't that the point? You can't really ever know. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think that's, I think that's where he leaves it as well. Um, Poirot. Plus, there's other. I mean, the the housemaid talks about how she won't stay there after dark mm-hmm. because um, it's known that this place has something going on in it. And the little boy, uh, Jude Hill's character, mm-hmm. um, he is also talking about how he can communicate with them, and he's actually convinced before anyone else is that Rowena is. A fraud because he actually has the ability to commune with these spirits mm-hmm. and so you know maybe there is something i mean the skeptic in me says absolutely not <laughs> um but but I'm, also yeah yeah i mean i think i'm i mean let's just talk generally about ghosts and, and whether i believe <laughs> in them or not like i i'm a pretty level-headed person i think i don't necessarily have a a deeply held belief in in, in anything um, spiritual, but I also don't claim to know enough to say definitively that there is nothing or that there is something. Mm-hmm. So I guess in that way, I'm pretty agnostic. But um, you know, I've had some personal experience with ghosts. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> I have. think and in particular there was a, a situation when I was about 14, 15 years old. I was in San Diego for a week on a work trip with my mom, and she was going to work during the day, so I was kind of just hanging out by myself in the hotel. Uh, I, I think it was the Omni Hotel in downtown mm-hmm. San Diego. And I knew there was something in this. Like, I, I had a weird feeling, okay? And then there was like a weird, there were two initials up on the curtains uh, in the room. It was an M and an H, and they were in circles. And they were not like, it was like embedded in the in the fabric. It was like very strange. Hmm. Um, but anyways, like I just, I was in the room. I was, remember I was reading a book, and it was a scary book. So I was thought, okay, maybe I'm getting in my head. It was a big room. I'd be like, I was in maybe one part of the room. I couldn't really see the whole room because it was like a wall separating it. Mm-hmm. So I would be in one side and then the other side where the wall was, I'd hear noises. And I'm like, what is that? 
But in any case, I didn't see anything. But, you know, it was actually my mom who was also a skeptic who, after we left, let me know that she did have like a weird encounter. Uh, and <laughs> well, she, she thought she it claimed, was you, right? Oh, well, okay. So she, she thought that the, she said she woke up in the middle of the night to go to the rat bathroom and she saw like a boy, like a, I don't know, young blonde boy uh, standing in front of the door and then disappeared through the wall without saying anything. But she chalked that up to having uh, too much food, heavy food and like a margarita or something. Okay, whatever. The next day, she tells me like that she has a pen mark that goes from her ankle all the way up her thigh. And she's like, did you do that? And I'm like, I'm 14. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter how old I am. If, <laughs> if I got up in the middle of the night and I took the covers off of her and I took a pen and I ran a, that pen up her bare like leg and thigh, that is far, far worse and creepier than like a ghost doing the thing. Yeah. So like, of course I didn't do that. And how, what other explanation is there? So that plus I continually see things in this hallway when I have my eyes open uh, in the middle of the night and mm. in the darkness, there are just, there are apparitions. I don't know if you ever stare out into the dark hallway no. uh, at like two or 3 a.m. That's when do it. But anyways, it's all nonsense. So like, you know, <laughs> am I contradicting myself? Yes, but um, I don't know, maybe. Maybe there was something there. What it's, do you think? It seems like you're a skeptic until you have a situation that you can't explain, which, you know, tends to turn a lot of skeptics into believers. Yeah, uh, yeah that's true. But I, I will also, once the experience has passed, I'll go right back to my skepticism, unless it's convenient and or entertaining for me to not be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, I find myself being like a believer, but I'm a believer to where I... I try to look for so much of the logic behind situations before I believe it's a ghost because there are so many different explanations. That's why sometimes like I'll find myself watching like those ghost hunter shows and I'm just like, that was the air conditioning or that's the, the pipes making sounds cause they're old and things like that. Just little things like that. Like I like, I like finding more of the solutions why before going to the fact that it's a ghost, but do I believe that, ghosts and spirits very much very much live amongst us yeah absolutely yeah well you you like watching is it the watcher with uh shane and ryan yes and, i am um, a bugara <laughs> yeah yeah and i think in that dynamic like you're very much more a ryan, ryan yes who is he believes in the stuff and he's sort of into it and, and yeah determined to find something mm-hmm. you're very much a shane <laughs> i think so i think that that kind of we are simpatico in in, in terms of our cynicism toward mm-hmm. everything it seems like yeah um but but also no because again I, there i think there are times where i can be convinced that mm-hmm. yeah something is going on yeah but as far as the movie i think that's p- part of what i what i liked about it i actually like that last flourish where you know he's he's uncertain still mm-hmm. um because there's only so much that logic can get you because we live in a, a logical kind of chaotic universe and so yeah you know well and something that I, I, this could totally be me misremembering parts of the movie, but there's a scene where Perot is talking to a young girl who is the younger version of Alicia. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, he's talking to a younger version of her before seeing a photograph of her as a younger girl. So I think I remember when seeing if, 
my memory serves me right, I remember thinking like, oh, maybe he did actually see a ghost because of the timeline of having seen the photo after the fact. That's what kind of made me think that maybe there's actually more to this. Like maybe he actually is seeing ghosts and whatnot. Yeah. he. De- I mean, I think they frame it as like, oh, she's a – because there was a – there were kids there for a mm-hmm. Halloween party beforehand. So she's just kind of stayed behind. Yeah. And that's how he – perceives it until he sees the picture mm-hmm. of her daughter and realizes that was her so yeah there's something going there's something going on there yeah. but I, I like that all, all that stuff worked for me i think the thing again going back to the the central you know who who done it part mm-hmm. that was a little bit more lackluster um but yeah overall i thought the the, the mystery part and the the house and the atmosphere i, th- I thought worked yeah um and you know just kind of going back to it being a whodunit, well, we kind of figured out some parts of this mystery after the fact, after the fact that Rowena was discovered to be the person who did, at the end, initially kill her daughter, even though she didn't actually do it in that moment, but she was slowly poisoning her mind with that hallucinated honey yeah. and all that, um, was our little uh, our little friend, the... Uh, the young boy who was able to talk and speak to these ghosts, he, like you mentioned before, he was able to actually figure out that Rowena was the one who actually did that to um, her daughter. And turns out that he was trying to help his dad out because his dad was suffering from major PTSD from the war, that he wasn't able to hold down a job as a doctor. So he blackmailed Rowena into saying, I know what you did to your daughter and ended up getting all this money from her and unfortunately, at the end, it ended up causing his dad's life. Yeah. it. Um, I mean, his dad, you know, killed himself, essentially, mm-hmm. for fear that if he didn't, something would happen to his son. So it was a sacrifice there. But yeah, he uh, he really did. He- <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you, like, that was the scene really where I was more so convinced that Rowena had something more to do with the story because of the keys that she was saying or the, the the things that she was saying in that scene where she said that room is practically soundproof. So I think that that was kind of a sign for me more so that she did it rather than anything else as far as like her acting strange with the children and things like that. But when she mentioned that, I was like, okay, something's going to happen in this room and I feel like she has something to do with it. And as we saw in the movie, she ended up calling the doctor while he was in the room and saying that I knew you're the one blackmailing me, which wasn't true. It was actually his son. And then she threatened to kill his son if he didn't do what she said. And yeah. Which is essentially backing up into a sword. Backing and, up into a sword. Like, oh my God, like what a freaking dad. Can you imagine? Like Every day. <laughs> Every day. Um, Insane, but. Yeah, no, I that was, you know, I think I didn't mention it before, but, you know, Kelly Riley, like I said, I associate her with um, Yellowstone and her character on Yellowstone is very, uh, just very strong-willed, mm-hmm. precocious. I've never seen very, Yellowstone, so very violent too. So uh, I think based on that as well, I'm like, well, if you're casting this actress at this juncture of her career, mm-hmm. it's not to just play a grieving mother. So there was that aspect of it too. I know it's not yeah. the movie's fault, but but you know they can't, you come in with that baggage, and that's why you know casting matters in that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that probably also contributed to my. Um, I guess, sense that something was amiss with her. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so that's basically the movie in a nutshell. And for me, I I think I mentioned before, I really enjoyed this movie. I think it was a great length for what it was. I think the story was great for what it was. And I just ended up leaving the movie theater really I'm just having a good time. Does it make you want to go to Venice? More than anything. <laughs> that's what it, the effect it had on me. I mean, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and also, I mean, the storm aspect was cool too. Just the notion of Venice in the, in the storm. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, was... the water rising and basically potentially flooding the streets. Yeah. So. And the second um, the second movie we've seen this... Well, it's not summer anymore, actually. As of today, it's fall. But mm-hmm. uh, the second movie we've seen anyways in the last couple of months that has aspects in Rome or as scenes in Rome, which is, you know, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. Yeah. Or in Rome, in Venice um, as well. So, Which again, you guys will never listen to. It's the Lost Podcast. <laughs> there, we've had a couple now. Yeah, we have a podcast, couple. But yeah, I mean, we, yeah. I, I would go to Venice even if the palazzo we stayed in was haunted. I'd take that risk. Oh, me too. I think it would be a, a fun experience, if anything. Yeah. Plus... Yeah. I just don't, it's probably not haunted. No. no I mean, we stayed in a haunted hotel before. We stayed at the New Orleans Hotel. That's Bur- not what it's called. Or the Bourbon Orleans. Yeah. That's what it's <laughs> called. Bur- yeah. I was thinking Bourbon Street. Yeah. Bourbon Orleans. Yeah, we stayed at the Bourbon Orleans, which is a notoriously haunted hotel on uh, Bourbon Street. It's a fantastic hotel, though. If any of you guys I, ev- I, ever need to go to New Orleans, you guys need to stay at that hotel. Yeah, what a wonderful look. It's right across the street from Fritzl's, which if you don't know... Whatever subsequent children we have will all be named Fritzel. <laughs> Plus, on... it's like a five-minute walk away from uh, Cafe Dumont where you can get the beignets and chicory coffee. Yeah, yeah it's right there. Um, great location. Mm-hmm. But anyways, it's a great place. I don't, I, I don't mind so much the, the notion of a haunted location. No, I think it'd be fun. If it, see, because my, my thing is that if, if I were to actually encounter something myself rather than like the story I relayed about my mom having mm-hmm. encountered it, like it would be scary, yes, but it would at least offer to me a little bit of proof that, that maybe there is something. Because uh-huh. if that is true, then I have to consider that there's a lot more at work that I've I've sort of rejected or resigned myself to believe that it's not true. Mm-hmm. So, Do you remember it was years ago. I think we weren't even dating a year at that point, but we went to San Diego and went to the infamous haunted Whaley house. Yes. Yeah. And you got so scared because you saw okay. a performer I, no. in behind the scenes and you thought that it was someone. Okay. Let me tell you what happened here. The Whaley house. Okay. It's a, it's a few stories, old little house, supposedly very haunted. We're, you're going in and you're taking pictures of everything mm-hmm. in hopes that you're uh, you, I don't know, your Motorola Razor camera, whatever you had at the I time, never had a Motorola was going to like capture a, a spirit. Anyways, so... I had a digital w- camera. There wasn't, we went there. A, there wasn't anyone, you know, around. It was somewhat of a dead day, a pun not intended. <laughs> and and we're in this, like, it was like a theater, mm-hmm. okay? And it's just you and you're taking pictures over here in the corner and I'm just waiting for you to be done so that we can go have margaritas uh, in Old Town. And... <laughs> Um, you know, I hear some rustling behind me and I'm like, what the heck is that? Cause no one's in here. And then I see the curtain at the theater moving and naturally, you know, given the pamphlet and, and all the literature that surrounds us about the hauntedness, that's where my mind went to. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, the indication that uh, I'm a God fearing person. Uh, no, but I will tell you, like, I do am. you know what I felt like after you had told me that situation? 
I felt envious because I wanted to, even if it wasn't real, like I want to experience something like that. I've never had as much of a believer as I am. I've never had an actual haunting experience. Isn't that interesting that like I've had a couple and yet I don't believe and yet you, the person who so yearns for it, but isn't that the case always in life Mm -hmm. is the person who chases something is very often left without Mm -hmm. and the person for whom that holds little interest, it makes itself readily available it's like it's like a cat yeah you know if you try to get a cat's attention they don't want anything to do with you but if you don't care about them they're just like hey what are are you doing you know cats and ghosts are very much alike in that sense because i i do think that they do attract more to the non-believers than anybody else cats yes (laughs) well don't (laughs) cat and also ghosts yeah it's like yeah they can smell interest it's Mm -hmm. the opposite of bees this whole thing is getting very confusing (laughs) If bees are attracted to fear, or is it dogs that are attracted to fear? I think any animal, well, and a lot of animals can smell fear. I don't know which ones are attracted to fear. I think we've gone off the rails a bit. I think but, so. um, no, By the I way, mean, we never really talked about what cocktail we were drinking no, with so, this movie. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> we I really was, got off track. It's been a while since we've done one of these. Yeah, we. Um, you know, it's a lot of effort to think about like cocktails for a specific movie. This one obviously being set in Venice, I thought, okay, the the famous cocktail that was invented in Venice was the Bellini, invented at Harry's Bar. Um, and so I considered making that, but it's it's we're just past peach season now, right? And mm-hmm. I didn't want to use frozen peaches to make the puree. Um, and so we ended up just going with an Aperol spritz because that's a popular Italian beverage. And simple enough to make. I don't have to mix anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Plus, it's also my favorite cocktail. It is your favorite cocktail. It's uh, it was your your featured cocktail at the wedding. Yep. Um, so I was very happy to say, hey, you know, Aperol spritzes are still Italy's like top cocktail. I think so. We should do that. Yeah, I think they're pretty ubiquitous across. Uh, Across the country, and they often serve them with potato chips uh, potato here. Potato chips. For some reason, they serve potato chips at every at every establishment that has hmm. alcohol, which is nice. They're considerate, and then they give you the, the salty snack that so well accompanies um, a refreshing drink. Very true. Um, but They're refreshing, slightly bitter drink. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I guess just to kind of slightly wrap this up a little bit so this is one of the 30 movie adaptations of a Hercule Poirot story do you have an idea of where this series could go like how many more movies not that I know not that I think you know what the books are obviously but how many movies do you think there, there could be more of in regards to this uh, story timeline, just given its track record, the I again, I don't know how we got to a third movie based on the performance of the previous mm-hmm. two. So I have no reason to think that this would be the last one. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll do pretty well, like when it comes out to streaming or VOD or whatever. So uh, I'd be fine with it continuing. Like I said, like this is there's not a lot of movies that are targeting this particular audience. Like it's like a mid budget. Mm-hmm. Um, adult oriented um fun kind of caper movie a caper but you know murder (laughs) mystery and you just don't get a lot of those and especially if they're going to do it more like this where it's on location i know 
I don't know the name of the book. I know there's like, there's so many of them, right? We all yeah. obviously, and they're all the same premise. It's, you mm-hmm. know, there's a bunch of characters. There's a murder. There's going to be in the middle of that. There's going to be two more murders at least. And then, you know, it's solving the thing. Mm-hmm. And so that can be taken anywhere. We had it on a train. We had it on a boat and we have it in a palazzo mm-hmm. in Venice. You know, the location is going to be the thing that kind of drives it for me. So if there's, if there's one that that's like in a nice, Mediterranean setting, uh, like a mansion type thing on the coast. Sorry, I had to dip my head off to the side for a second. Um, <laughs> then I, I'd like to see that. I mean, I, I don't think there's, especially because the casts are varied. I think Kenneth Branagh does a reasonably good job with um, with directing them, especially in this one. I think, again, I think it was like a little bit better made, mm-hmm. uh, at least more interesting than the previous two. And Kenneth Branagh is, is just good in general. I, oh, Belfast, yeah. obviously, I think he was nominated for, um, at least for screenwriting award. Didn't he win? uh for, for writing yes yeah. i think original screenplay i believe um really liked it um he has a he's obviously known for his shakespeare adaptations he's just good at adapting i mm-hmm. think kind of literature um he even did he did the first thor movie if you remember that oh, he directed yeah. thor which I, I liked that movie and it's the only thor movie i did like and it is very shakespearean mm-hmm. in its construction so makes sense yeah he's um he's good and i i would gladly see more of these if they do come out. For a lot of our audience who maybe isn't too familiar with um, Kenneth Branagh's work, um, some of you may know him as Professor Lockhart in the Chamber of Secrets Harry Potter movie. Um, That's kind of what I think a lot of uh, people of maybe mine or younger generation really remember him as. I first saw Kenneth Branagh in a movie called Dead Again featuring his then wife Emma Thompson with Robin Williams um and that is probably like one of my favorite movies and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get Daniel to watch it as a shall we watch episode cuz I just love it it has so much nostalgia for me and again it's a, it's along the lines of like a murder mystery kind of style so I, I think he has a, I think he has a theme a thing for these like murder mystery stories yeah he's he's good uh, and we'll definitely we'll watch Dead Again Probably after we watch Terrifier 2. Um, <laughs> I told you we should watch Sorcerer and then we can watch that one. Well, look, it's it's October next week or uh-huh. whatever. So we'll probably be doing some horror movies. I think we should do Terrifier 2 as one of those horror movies. Maybe we could do a double feature, Terrifier 1 and 2 back to back. I don't know if I can do that. We'll see. I mean, I think... I feel like I have to be really intoxicated to watch Terrifier 2. Into- Why? Because I don't want to remember be into- all the stuff that happens. <laughs> You'll be intoxicated just by by the movie itself. It's No, I've heard people left that movie like throwing up. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Because they were intoxicated. You see, it's it's <laughs> it, it was the alcohol that did it. It wasn't the movie. <laughs> That's the secret. So, um yeah, we can we can do that. Mm. We do have a lot of uh, fun movies for Halloween kind of lined up for both Shall We Watch and One Ticket Four. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, we got Leprechaun 7, <laughs> I think, was, was one of them we discussed. And No, but the The Exorcist, like, sequel, it's kind of a... Yeah, I definitely want to see that. Yeah, I do too. Um, was there other, are there other, like, horror movies releasing in that... 
I know, um, like, I wanted, I know Talk to Me came out. I think it's already out of theaters, but it's probably going to be on VOD by then. Like, I, I did want to see that. Five What's Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I know you want to see it. I'll see it. Um, I'm not too. I love watching people play that game. <laughs> I've it, never but... played that game before, but I love watching people play that game and just get the jump scare, like, from all the animatronics come out. The... Um, I think we also talked about, for a Shall We Watch episode, talking, uh, watching Talk to Me. Yeah, that's what I just movie. mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I, I did want to see that. Um, I think, well, there's, I don't know if that's coming out for Halloween. There's another Saw movie coming out, which I have no interest in. I've only seen the first Saw, and I I thought it was really good. Can I tell you, I saw that trailer for the new Saw movie coming out when I went and saw this movie mm-hmm. um, in theaters. And the first thing I thought of was like, another Saw movie? I mean, this guy pretty much has like, so many royalties i bet from like making prequel, all these movies. Right? i think it's a prequel if i remember but it honestly there's been so many of them and i think they've already done some prequels mm. that it's hard to remember um i had a list somewhere on my phone of what movies i thought we should do for the month of october um let me see if i can find it there's so many pictures of the baby on here yeah I think you had like Insidious Red Door on there. Yeah, I wanted to and do that for a, a Shall We Watch yeah, podcast. I I, to, I'm a fan of the Insidious yeah, series. Yeah, I, I like those movies. Um, so we, we could probably do that. That was, I think, one of them that... Oh, I think you had the Evil Dead Rise Rising on there. I'm not a huge Evil Dead fan. Yeah, um, I mostly we'll just see. wanted to watch it just because the last um, movie, I think that came out in like, what, 2012? or It was a while ago. Yeah. It was a while ago, but that movie honestly, like, creeped me out. Like, the way the, the way it was shot and everything, it just really... You know, actually, you know what? I, one one that I might want to watch is called Skinamarink. What? Uh, yeah, it's a movie called Skinnerink. I don't again. I don't. I don't remember like how you say it. Skinnerink. Yeah. Okay. I don't know anything about this movie. I've just heard some you know podcasters, movie podcasters I watch, I listen to talk about it. Um, it's apparently it's really scary. I think it's like a Shutter movie. Oh, uh, I love Shutter. I don't. I don't recall exactly. I, I think it was in theaters briefly, and then pretty sure right now you could watch it on Shutter. But yeah, Shutter's cool. Uh, when I, I remember, when, so when I had COVID, this was in beginning of the year in January. I uh, yeah, that was the time. we had. I had Shutter. I got like a whatever trial period of it, and I watched uh, Speak No Evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the it was like was. a it was a international film, right? It was. I think or it was film? Danish, or I don't remember. It was really good though. Um, it was, I don't know why, I just felt like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't think it was speak, maybe it was speak no evil. Yeah, it was speak no evil. Um, yeah, Danish. Really good. Mm. Uh, so I was, I was pleased by that. But yeah, you know, Skin of a Ring. I mean, what was that? You had Run Rabbit Run on there, which was a yeah. Netflix movie. You know what I think we should watch, actually? And maybe Run Rabbit Run is somewhat trying to be like that, but we should rewatch The Baba Duke. I was thinking about yes. that, especially because we're parents now. Mm-hmm. And that whole movie is about the trauma of being a parent, a single parent in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would be interesting to watch through that lens. I think it would definitely be worth a rewatch because I think we watched it the year that it came out. So We've seen it a couple of times. It's one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah, we've seen it one time. We've watched it several times, I think. Not yeah. several, but at least two times. 
I don't know. I feel like I've only seen it one time. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But yeah, I, I definitely think it's for sure in our uh, current state, I think it's worth a rewatch. Our current state. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Well, and that's another thing with this movie, The Honey and Venice, that I, you know, as a as a mom now, and then knowing what she, like, that this mom was essentially, like, poisoning her daughter to make her seem like she's crazy, so she's, she's more reliable on her, like, both both Heather, Heather is also a mom as well, too, and my friend who I saw it with, and we both just kind of were like, that that's so wrong. Like just having that happen. So a lot of these movies, I feel like now as a parent, especially watching a movie that involves like a parent doing something or is about a, a, a movie about a parent. I think I just have a whole new perspective on it, but maybe that's just me. Because if you weren't a parent, you would be okay with the notion of a mother poisoning. No, her child. that's not what I'm saying at all. But I think I have a different more. I have a different understanding yeah, of yeah. it. I don't, agree with it or nor do I condone it but I definitely am like okay you wanted your daughter all to yourself I get that I want Emmy all to myself sometimes too but I would never ever stoop to putting her on on hallucinogenics to make it to where she only relies on me like Hmm. how utterly selfish is that you're sounding very judgmental right now I am being judgmental right now you know why because that is not what a parent (laughs) should do (laughs) Agreed. Yeah, I can't can't really disagree with that. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So we'll see what what's to come. Again, look forward to Skin of Marink or Terrifier Two or you know one of those one of those will occur. Yeah. And again, if you if any of you have suggestions out there of what we should watch for in theaters or from the comfort of our home, you could just go ahead and uh, leave us a comment or send us a DM on our Instagram page. That is one ticket the number four podcast. Or you can also uh, leave a comment on our Threads page, which is the same uh, title on there as well, too. Same name on there. And yeah, I think this was really fun. I'm really glad that we got to go to the theaters. And I think we're probably going to make more time to go to the theaters in the upcoming months because there's a lot of fun things coming out. Yeah, end of the year is when when the heavy hitters come out. So looking yeah. forward to, to all that is to come. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed it. And we will catch you guys all in the next episode. Next episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye.